Grasp the Bible is a podcast of Spring Baptist Church that walks through selected books of the Bible, verse by verse, as well as spends time exploring biblical ideas and topics to help you understand and apply God's Word in your daily life. Pastor Dale Stein of our Klein Campus will be leading each week's study. This is our 99th episode. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we are starting our study in 1 Peter. Good to see you and hear you, Pastor Dale. Thank you. Good to be back. So as we are jumping right in to 1 Peter, I know you've already kind of done an overview, so we don't need to get into that per se, but what is something we need to be on the lookout for as we start today's study? Well, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted, and so he is writing to give them hope in the midst of their suffering. So that's what we're going to be really looking at today is for them, what is this hope that they have that will allow them to endure the suffering and persecution that they are experiencing. That's intense. Mm -hmm. I think the whole book is intense, isn't it? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can just put our seatbelts on, strap in, and let's get into today's study. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We are going to finish out our spring series in the book. And uh, today we will attempt to get through the first 17 verses of chapter 1. And the Christians who lived in Asia Minor, they were facing a very difficult time. And because of their faith, their faith in Christ, they were facing some persecution through social ostracism and slander and malicious talk. And all of that undermined their relationships with associates and with family members. It threatened their honor in the community. And it possibly jeopardized their livelihood. And so... The world was pressing in on them to compromise or even give up this newfound Christian lifestyle that they had adopted. And so Peter is writing to these people to give them hope and consolation and encouragement by explaining that their identity in Christ and even how they suffer now is integral to that identity. And so in this opening, Peter is going to be describing to them the Christian's relationship to God and to society and the relationship to ancient Israel as well. So let's look at the first two verses here at the greeting and the source of salvation. It says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have become cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And so this opening is hardly a customary hello It's theologically rich, and it is packed with all kinds of themes that Peter is going to walk through. And so Peter introduces himself here as an apostle, and he was an authoritative messenger and interpreter of the gospel. And so this isn't simply good advice. It is a message from God that is given to his people now through this faithful messenger. And these people, they were exiles in the world because of their faith. And they were God's elect. They were his chosen, and therefore they were pilgrims. And so these Christians that he was writing to, they lived uh, in an area of what we now call modern-day Turkey. 
And they were scattered people, perhaps across a wide territory. And so it kind of reminds us of the ancient Jews as well, who were scattered throughout the ancient world. And so just like the Jews in the Old Testament at times were scattered people living uh, in a homeland, so were these new Christians that Peter was writing to. And he reminds them that they are God's elect, that God had called them out and they had responded. And because of this, they were separate from the world. They were resident, resident aliens in a foreign land. They were committed to a different lifestyle, and they thought they were awed by their fellow countrymen where they were. And so the actual way they lived was in contradiction to what their society thought was normal. And so Peter, right here at the outset, he's going to bring up one big thing that he's going to unpack in the rest of the letter, and that is how do Christians live? How do they behave? How do they act in a homeland that is unsympathetic to them, in a land that is very different from how they are supposed to be. Because here's the thing, right? Aliens know that they really don't fit in the society into which they are living. And so Peter is reminding them, there's a reason this seems odd to you. This isn't your homeland. You're simply an alien here. You're a visitor. You ever go to maybe another country? And there's all different customs, and there's, there's norms there that are different from how we live here in America. And Peter's saying, there's a reason things are different for you, because you're a resident of a different, different kingdom. And so things in this life are going to be different for you. And so he is going to talk about their origin, manner, and the goal of their election. And so their election took place because God foreknew them. It was nothing that they did. It was not a choice. God did not look down and say, oh, these people are going to say yes to me, therefore I will, I will save them. No, somehow or another, God chose them before then. And then second, God accepted them and brought, uh, brought them about by the Holy Spirit and transferred them into the kingdom of God. And so from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was active in their lives and sealed them as his people. And third, they, uh, third, the purpose of God's act was that they should now live in obedience to him because they were consecrated, they were set aside to Jesus Christ. And so if we look at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was sealed with the sprinkling of sacrificial blood. And he's reminding them, you've been set apart, you've been consecrated, but this time it was not an animal that shed its blood for you. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And this now sets you apart as God's people. And so verse 2 really outlines the plan of salvation. We were chosen by the Father. We were set apart unto faith by the Spirit. And we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so basically what he's saying here is you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. The Son saved you when he died for you, but it took you surrendering to the Holy Spirit to complete that transaction. And so the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you so that you would grow in obedience and in your faith. And he ends by talking about grace, which is God's unmerited love and favor towards his people, and peace. Right? He, he talks about this bringing this reconciliation between God and lost people. And so this is what God bestows on us is his grace and peace. So let's move on to verses 3 through 5 at the guarantee of our salvation, 
What is salvation's future reward? And so Peter writes this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now, to be a Christian in Peter's day meant facing uncertain and unpleasant experiences from around the world, from uh, the surrounding world. And one of Peter's aims is to encourage his readers by giving them grounds for solid hope about their ultimate future so that they might face their immediate future with courage and even joy. Now, as we look through verses 3 through 12 in the original Greek language in which this is written, it's all one long sentence. And so we can kind of really just just break this down into three main sections. And so in verses 3 through 5, Jesus, or Peter is going to focus on the end-time inheritance that belongs to all believers. So they should rejoice, they should bless God because their future and salvation is certain. And their lives should be marked, therefore, by an undaunted hope. And so in verse 3, he says, the reason why we should praise God is because he has given us a new birth. All right, and so God's initiative here is, the result is him providing us a new life. And see, no one takes credit for being born, right? What did you do to cause yourself to be born? And that's Peter's point. It wasn't you who saved yourself. It was God himself who saved you. He begot you into a new creation. You were born again into this new life. And see, as, as believers, though, before we knew Jesus, we deserve wrath and we deserve judgment. But because of God's great mercy and grace, he bestows life on those who once opposed him. And so the goal of all this is now explained. In verse 3, Peter mentions this living hope of believers. And so the reason that, that God, one of the reasons that God saved us is that now he gives us a new hope, this living hope. He guarantees us an inheritance. And in verse 5, he guarantees us salvation. And so this living hope is in contrast to a vain and empty hope. And he wants them to understand that hope is simply not something we want to happen, but there is no uh, certainty that it will The way Peter uses that word is, no, this is something you can and will look forward to. This is something that is going to happen because it is grounded and it is secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this hope is the hope of resurrection. It's the hope of triumph over death. And so no matter what happens to them in this world, it is trivial compared to the blessing of the future resurrection that they will experience. And so in verse 4, he unpacks it a little more. And so Peter selects the language of inheritance to let them know what is in store. And, you know, um, perhaps maybe you had a, a family member pass away and you find out unexpectedly that you're going to receive some type of inheritance. Imagine here the king of all kings saying, I'm giving you an inheritance. Now, what do you think God and all his riches wants to give each one of us 
who follow Jesus as an inheritance. And so Peter is going to say, yes, things in this life are very hard right now, but let me get you to look forward to the inheritance that you're going to get. So imagine if you had like a rich relative and you knew they told you, okay, I love you so much. When I die, I'm going to give you $5 million. Okay? Now, you'll be looking forward to that. You might be plotting your death. I don't know. But, but you, you're looking, man, when that day comes, I'm going to be rich. And Peter's like, when Christ returns or when you die, whichever happens first, okay, you are going to gain this inheritance that is going to make everything you're going through right now in life pale in comparison. Yes, I know it's hard right now, but you need to understand what awaits you, and you can get through, you can endure for what happens. And so in the Old Testament here, the, the, the promised inheritance was a land of their own. And now Peter is speaking of a new promised land, this new kingdom that they will experience as believers. And he goes on to tell them, you know what, let me tell you a little bit about this inheritance you're going to get. It can never perish or be corrupted. It cannot spoil. It can't be defiled. The inheritance will not lose its luster or its beauty. It will, beauty. It will never become stained or filthy. And the inheritance will never fade. It will last forever. And it is being kept in heaven for you. And so it's God himself who is reserving this inheritance for all believers. He wants them to know this is a done deal. This is certain. This is going to happen. You ever, you ever know that you're about to go into something really difficult and you have a friend come along and say, you're going to get through this. This is going to be really hard, but I'm going to walk with you through this and we're going to get through this together. And on the other side of all of this you're about to go through, we're going to celebrate because it's going to be good. This is what Peter is doing. He's saying, I know these things you're going through are difficult. This life is not all there is right now. And for some of you, maybe you're going through some very difficult times right now. Or maybe you, you, you have been through those times. But we have to know this, that if we live 80 or 90 or 100 years, this life is nothing compared to all of eternity. Because we know what lies ahead of us. And we can look forward to that inheritance, knowing that it will not change. And so Peter now describes this inheritance in terms of salvation. We are being rescued from God's judgment on the last day. It is his future glory that all believers will experience. And so Peter is, is trying to get them to look forward to this. And he said here, it is being guarded. It's being protected by God himself. And he uses this language that they would know because, again, at this time, Rome was the major empire of the world. And so whenever Romans wanted to secure a town, they would station soldiers there to guard the town, to protect it, to make sure nothing bad was going to happen. And so Peter uses that language to say, but let me tell you something here. This inheritance, it's being guarded by God. So it's secure. It's not going anywhere. Nothing is going to happen to it. It will be waiting for you on the last day. And so the question then becomes, how does God protect us as believers? Now, Peter makes it very clear that just because God protects us, it does not make us immune from suffering or persecution. And I know some of you, and I know some of your stories, I know some of the pain that you've been through. How many of you would agree with me? Just because you sign on the line that says, I follow Jesus, 
How many of you agree with me? You are not exempt or immune from pain in this world. Bad stuff happens. It just does. We are living with the results of sin. And so Peter is telling them, you know what? You may suffer agonizing pain, physical pain, psychological pain because of your faith. But God preserves you so that you will receive this inheritance at the end. And you're protected by faith. And so Peter calls on them to exercise their faith to receive this final salvation. And so he continue no matter what happens in this world. All this persecution, all this suffering, all these trials you're going to experience here. You must continue to trust and live faithfully because there is no final salvation apart from continued faith. And so faith is a condition for obtaining this end time inheritance. And so we have to understand that God's protection cannot be kept in a separate compartment from our believing. We endure. We hold on. We persist in our faith. And God continues to protect our inheritance. And so God will preserve our faith through sufferings in this life. And faith and hope, they're ultimately gifts from God. He fortifies us as believers so that we will persist in our faith. And we will maintain that hope until the day we receive that eternal inheritance. And so let's look at verses 6 through 9 at the joy of our salvation. And so Peter is going to talk about salvation's present adversity. So beginning in verse 6, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong during many th- strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. And so Peter brings out this further tension of Christian living. And so he's already drawn this contrast between the fulfillment of Christian hope and their present situation, living by faith. And now he shows that our situation here is one of rejoicing, despite the suffering and testing of our hope in the eternal future. And so he says, you know what, you're going to get this reward in the end, but you need to understand that trials are going to happen. And he's saying, but keep in mind though, these aren't to punish you. Okay, It's not because you're being bad. He's saying these trials are actually going to come along and they are going to refine and purify your faith. And because of these trials, they will bring honor and praise to God when Jesus Christ reveals himself. And so their lives are now to be characterized by joy and love for Jesus precisely because they know the salvation that awaits them in the future. You ever... ever think, I'm a really strong Christian. I'm really strong. I've got this down. And then all of a sudden, the world comes and goes, really? Well, let's just see. And unleashes all kinds of just misery in your life. And you go through that, and you suffer, and you wonder, why, God? Why? 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 Get me out of this. Get me out of this. I don't like it. 
And God doesn't get you out immediately. And he keeps you there for a while. And you absolutely hate it and are miserable. But then it ends. And you come through on the other side. And you reflect back on how's my walk with God before? And where is it right now? And you go, oh my gosh. My walk with him is so much deeper. My walk is so much greater. Because he refined part of my life. He got rid of some things. He drew me closer to him. This is Peter's whole point here, is that when we go through these trials here, God sends them to us to grow our faith, to refine it, to purify us, so that we will look more like his son. And he's saying, you know what? These things are going to happen to you. They're not going to be something that happens all the time, but they will come to you. And they take place because God allows these trials to happen for a little while. Now, while you're going through some of those difficult times, while you're going through those trials, they may seem to you like they're in eternity. But Peter says they'll last for a while, and then they will be over, and then more will come. And so he talks about these, this suffering here coming in the form of trials. And he's, the whole point here is to see if your faith will stand up to a strain. See, a temptation is an attempt to destroy something. And we know God does not tempt people. But God does allow, sometimes, he can use temptations to test our faith. So he will use some of the plans that Satan has to say, okay, we will use this as a trial for my people to see, to test the strength of our will. Because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Right? A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so he talks here about the purpose that God has in allowing his people to suffer because our trials test the faith. And so he gives this analogy of purifying gold, right? And gold is a precious metal, but often gold contains impurities in it. And so it has to be heated up in a crucible then so the impurities can rise to the top and can be scraped off by the goldsmith to make the gold more pure. And sometimes what happens in our lives, too, is that God allows these trials to happen in our lives to bring out impurities inside of us, to help us come more face-to-face with the sin in our lives and the things that we have to deal with and to cause us to trust him more. And he can remove those things so that our faith can become even more pure. And so we become actually stronger and more like Christ on the other side. And so a a Christian's faith contains human and sinful elements. And so in this crucible of testing and of trials, these, these impurities are purged away, leaving a faith that will allow us to stand the test of time. And then when we do go through those things, when Christ returns, all honor will be given to God. Because here's the thing, when we as Christians endure the same trials, that unsaved people go through. And they look at us and they go, wow, you're acting in a way that is so different from how I would act. If I was going through this, I would, and they fill in the blank, right? But we as Christians live differently because we know the purpose of these trials. And so he's saying here that, you know what's going to happen? Your lives are going to so reflect God's character and Christ's character that when he returns, it's going to bring honor and glory to him. It's going to point to him going, look, I went through all this bad stuff. And my faith only got stronger 
as a result of it. Because here's the thing, when we go through difficult times in life, when we go through these trials, when we go through these struggles, you've got two choices. You've got a choice of two things. You become better or you can become bitter. The world can become bitter. But we as Christ followers are commanded to get better, to grow in our faith. And then Peter claimed here that the Christian life is one of hope, despite the fact that this future salvation is not yet revealed. And it's also a life of rejoicing, despite the current tests of faith. And then finally, it's a life of believing, even though we haven't yet seen the Savior. And so what matters in the end is not so much the fact of a future salvation or a future praise, but rather the hope of seeing Jesus. See, Peter got to see Jesus. These people he's writing to didn't. And so he wants them to see that right now you can have this tremendous relationship with Jesus Christ because you get to see him in the future, although you have never met him. You can have this joy right now at the hope of knowing that you will see him one day. And so Peter adds that that we are already receiving loosely here the goal of our faith, which is salvation. So we should be forward-looking and looking into this otherworldly dimension. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get so bogged down in the day-to-day activities in life that we can lose our joy. Right? We get so bogged down, and I would tell you this, when I say we, I mean me. Feel free to join me if you want. The water's nice and warm. Right? We complain about everything in this world. Right? You ever been around negative people? Like negative Nancys? They're a lot of fun to be around, right? Peter says, rejoice. You have so much to be happy about. Yes, bad things are going to happen. But you have reason to rejoice. Now again, right? When bad things happen, we should go, oh, great, great. I'm going to lose my home. I'm so excited. No, that's not what he said. But we can have joy in the midst of those difficult times because we know this isn't all there is. This life isn't the end, okay? This is nothing compared to all of eternity. And so the question then is, has the importance of our eternal inheritance lost its impact on us today? How does knowing the joy that awaits for all of eternity impact our lives today? When I was a little kid, my dad spilled the beans one day. It was supposed to be a surprise by my parents, but my dad told me the night before, he goes, you need to go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. I'm thinking, why do I need to go to bed right now? I think it's like seven or eight. And he goes, my mom went around, and he goes, because we're going to Astroworld tomorrow. And I was so excited that I couldn't sleep that night, okay? I was so excited because I knew it was coming the next day. That news impacted how I lived that night. Peter's like, let me tell you the news that's coming in the future. Because you're going to get this thing that is so incredible that God is keeping for you, this inheritance that the King of Kings is going to give you. Shouldn't that impact how you live life today? And my brothers and sisters, shouldn't that impact how you and I live our lives today? And so that, that message that he has 
for those people who are facing suffering and persecution. And as we as Christians live in this world and we see what's happening, it's becoming more and more hostile towards us here and how easy it is to say, oh my gosh, we need to get in a Christian house and stay with each other and protect one another. God's like, no, be out there. Bad things are going to happen to you, but know what awaits you in the future here. That's what should get you excited. And so this message here written 2,000 years ago is still the same for us today. And moving on, we'll probably just wrap up here, verses 10 through 12 today. Let's look at, at the Old Testament prophets and angels and our salvation. And so we're going to look at salvation's past glories in verses 10 through 12. Peter writes, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And so... They should give praise. These people should give praise to God because they're living in the age of fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the returning or the coming of Jesus Christ. See, these prophets, they anticipated this. They looked forward to these things and angels gazed from afar because they don't know what it means to experience salvation. And so, but Peter's readers, though, they live in the day of that fulfillment. And Peter's like, look, guys, the Old Testament, these prophets, everything they wrote about, it was for you. It wasn't for them. They didn't get to experience any of this. And God is in control. And he writes all of history. And he's telling them, you're lucky to live at this time. And so these prophets, they had they had wondered. They got these visions sometimes, and they didn't understand them. They struggled to understand what they meant. And so Peter's telling them, you don't have to struggle to understand. It's all been revealed to you. You are the lucky recipients. You are privileged with this mystery that has been hidden from all the ages, but now has been revealed to you. And so he's telling them, you know what? The whole Bible, all of this is one story, all right? Because it was written back here and parts were fulfilled and God was continuing revealing and revealing and revealing until finally it came to its fulfillment in Christ. And he is reminding them that they are the lucky recipients here. And so these New Testament readers here, these, this, this audience that Peter is writing to saying, you're part of this story. It continues. It doesn't seem to its end and all of a sudden you're this new thing. He's getting them to see this is all part of God's plan and you are fitting into it just at this one particular time. And they can look back and see that God's plan was unfolding from the Old Testament. And so Peter's mentioning here the Holy Spirit who, who was the agent of revelation at that time. You know, that same spirit who inspired these writers, he's the same spirit that is alive in you today. And so the, these Old Testament prophets, they wondered what this Messiah was going to be like. What were these sufferings here? What was his glorification be? What does all this stuff mean? And they didn't understand sometimes what they were writing here, but they wrote it anyway. And so in verse 12, these Old Testament prophets, they wanted to see these things. They wanted to see it in person, but it was not revealed to them in their day. 
And Peter is telling them now, their ministry was not directly related to them or themselves or this or their generation. But it was actually looking forward to Peter's time and those on the other side of the resurrection. And so the Old Testament prophets don't only apply to don't only apply to Peter's readers, but they were intended for them. He's saying, you're actually the recipients of this. That's why these men wrote these things. And so um, imagine here being in a church in the first century, and you're hearing this. It's like, wait, wait, wait. What? What did you just say? Are you saying here that these men who wrote hundreds or even a thousand years or so ago, that they weren't writing to them, but they're writing a letter to me? Right? You ever had, like, maybe someone like a grandparent or, or someone who far back and they, you, your parents show you a letter and they say, hey, your grandparents prayed for you that one day you would be in the situation, that one day you would be here. And you read this letter from someone in the past and it was for you. And you realize, oh my gosh, someone a long time ago thought about me and they were praying for me. And so Peter is telling them that, that this was all done for your behalf. And so any thought that God did not care about them, because let's face it, when we go through difficult times, you wonder, God, do you care? If you did, why are you allowing me to go through this? He's like, here's one more piece of proof that God cares for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. In fact, all these things written long ago, they were for you. So this is all part of God's plan all along. He knew all this ahead of time. So if he went through all this trouble and did all this stuff centuries before then don't you think he can get you through this? And he thought about you during that time. And so they did not have to fear where God was because he's reminding them all these things. God sent these messengers and they wrote these messages for you. And so the prophets here, they were largely rejected in their day because they served another time. And they wanted to see the salvation that they wrote about, but they did not. And they were oftentimes, they were abused and they were physically impaired due to the nature of their work. You know, he's saying, these Old Testament prophets, they endured all these things for your sake. And so they are incredibly blessed to live in a time when these predictions have come to pass. And also, believers, we stand in contrast to angels because they look upon these things and they marvel at them and the angels take delight in God's saving actions. And so he uses the word gaze or look into. It means to, to look at something for a long time, right? And so they want to obtain a better perspective here. And angels rejoice when people are saved. And so imagine, you know, as we try and explain to lost people what salvation is, and the angels don't experience this. And so they, they look at it. And they wonder about it. And they have this perspective trying to understand, why does God save these people again? I see what they do. And I'm trying to understand here, why does he want to save them from everything? Why does he just give them what they deserve? And so angels then, are, tell, are basically, Peter's point is basically angels are looking at what you're experiencing. And they're in awe of that. Again, 
He is, he's getting them ready to, to re, for them to realize and remember just how special they are because angels don't experience the gospel in the same way that we do. So Old Testament prophets saw it from afar and angels marvel and they gaze upon what God has done through Christ. But Peter's readers are the actual ones who get to experience this. And so these first 12 verses here, they celebrate what God has done for the believers in Jesus Christ, featuring the saving work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He emphasizes its eternal inheritance for the believers. He focuses on their love for and joy in God. And he highlights for them how privileged they are to live in the days when God's promises are being fulfilled. And then he next he's going to call on them to live a life of holiness because of what Christ has done for them. And so we will pick up in verse 13 next time and then work through the rest of this chapter here. So let's close in prayer. Father, how grateful we are to live on this side of the resurrection. And Lord, we know that you allow trials to come. Let us not become bitter. But Lord, may you use those times to refine us, to purify us. And may we see you working in those moments so that we would not get discouraged, so that we would not lose hope, but that we would keep our eyes on the future. Lord, you know how difficult it is to live in this sin-filled world at times, but we also know that this world is not our home, that we are simply passing through. And Lord, that all of eternity will be indescribable, unimaginable, and the inheritance that, that you already have for us, that you are guarding for us and holding for us until that time. And Lord, um, if we think that 30 or 40 or 50 or 80 years is long in this life, it is nothing compared to a moment in all of eternity with you. Let us reflect on that this week. May it bring us joy and may it bring us hope. And Lord, may we take that hope and joy into this lost and dying world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for that word. Now, as we are diving into 1 Peter and we've gone through the first chapter, what are some things we need to keep on our mind or a big idea about today's study? Well, Peter continually mentions this idea of being tested. And it's so important for us to remember that in our lives here, that sometimes God allows us to be tested. Now, he doesn't tempt us, but he does allow trials to come into our lives to help refine us, to get rid of things that don't belong in our lives and to make us more into the image of his son. And so the really big idea is this, is that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So how do we apply that? Well, sometimes what can happen to us when we get in the midst of a trial, or especially if it's one after another, we can easily want to give up and lose heart and wonder where is God and why is he allowing me to endure all this suffering and all this pain? And and I get it. Those are very legitimate questions to ask. But I think we can turn that around and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn? What are you working on in my life to conform me, to transform me, and to get rid of some things in my life that you don't want here so I can focus more on you and depend more on you every day? And that ultimately is our goal as a disciple, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we apply it. Now let's 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 think about this idea. What does that look like? Not not just theoretically apl- applying it. Mm-hmm. Give us like a real world situation 
where where you, where you could say, hey, this is how this could be used in a real world situation. Sure. So we're all familiar with uh, the mass immigration that's happening into America now, whatever you feel about it. It's just a fact. We have record numbers of people coming into our country. And so um, the thing is, is that those people are coming into a land where they might not know the language, they don't know the culture. And so for them, they will stand out, right? This is not their homeland. And I think it's important for us as, as Christ followers to remember that this earth is really not our homeland. We are like aliens going into a culture that we don't belong in. And so we wonder why sometimes the world is hostile to us, why they don't see things the, w- the way that we do. Why is it that when we speak out against certain things, certain groups of people don't like that? It's because we are aliens in their culture. So just keep that in mind. Uh, as we move forward through the book of First Peter, is that as an alien, you're always aware that you really don't fit in in the society where you live. That's a great word. And Jesus was really clear that we would have trouble because of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, now as we're um, going into Peter, it's always good to have a little bit of a look forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and normally next week we would be working into chapter Two, correct? We're going to finish up the end of chapter one and start in chapter two. Okay. Now, but that's not what's going to happen next week. Right. So do you want to give everybody just a little taste of what's going to go on? Well, I am super excited as we um, get to our 100th episode because we are going to be talking about our discipleship pathway. In other words, we're going to talk about the process that we've adopted in order to make disciples. Not only that, but then people who once they are disciple, turn around and disciple others as well. Well, very good. So that is some exciting stuff happening over the next couple of weeks. As we are um, ending this time's last 99 episodes, mm-hmm. uh, we, we can always look back and see a lot of things going on, but I just want to say thank you to those who have been listening and putting up with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's been rough. Sometimes the audio quality has been weird. Sometimes you've had laryngitis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm just crazy. <laughs> but uh, we just want to say thank you for joining us. And um, join us next week as we just take a short little break to really talk about something that's very important to both of our hearts, our discipleship pathway. Join us next week as we have some fun together. Mm-hmm. I don't have a good ending for that. No, I, I, I don't have anything to add. Okay, so see you later.